Good evening, church. My name is Garrison, and I am the campus director here at Grace Covenant Church, and welcome to 715. It's a privilege to be with you this evening, and this is my first time up here, so I'm very excited to be able to bring the word this evening. Before we get started, I just want to take a moment and thank our leadership team. I just want to thank our senior pastor, Pastor Dad, Pastor Brett, and Pastor Jim, and the elders that have been working so hard to make sure that we are in line with everything that's right in the government. I also want to take a moment to thank them for believing in the next generation. This church would not be where it is without your belief in raising up the next generation. So Dad, Pastor Jim, everybody who's involved with raising the next generation, thank you. Without your sacrifice, without your belief in us, this church would be at a place where we could not pass it to the next generation, but we would be looking at somebody who could pass it to. And now that you've raised us up, now that you've believed in us, and with me specifically, there have been opportunities for you to say no multiple times. But thank you for saying yes. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for loving. Thank you for caring. And thank you for trusting that God has a great plan for the next generation. Church, I miss you. I haven't been able to see you or hug you or be with you for the last eight weeks And I'm sad because I would like to be with you. I would like to hug you. I would like to look into your eyes and give you the the smile that's on my face. I want to be with you. And as thankful as I am for these opportunities that we have with live stream, with Zoom, with Google Meet, it doesn't feel the same. I miss hugging you. I miss eating together. I miss lingering in the lobby because, you know, the church linger is real. I miss it all. And I cannot wait for the day in which we we are reunited I think there's going to be a great party that happens in this sanctuary. I can't wait to close my eyes and lift my arms and my hands and praise Jesus at the top of my lungs with my person right beside me and my other person right beside me that I have yet to meet. I'm so excited for the day that we gather together. These last eight weeks, um, really these last six weeks, I think, Pastor Corey and Pastor AJ have been doing this series called The Sovereignty of God, which they have knocked it out of the park. Let me tell you, they have encouraged us, they have equipped us, they have strengthened us in our understanding of God. And now we're moving to a new series called Motivations, which we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. And this series is designed because I think at this point in our lives, we've kind of lost motivation to do a lot. I believe it's week eight or nine of quarantine. And at the beginning, I'm sure all of us were saying, oh, I've got the motivation to work out, or I've got the motivation to learn a new skill, or read that book that I've been putting off for the last six months or a year. I've got the motivation to do so many things. But at week eight or nine, we're sitting there like, man, I've, I've given up. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't, want, I don't have any motivation to do anything. I just want to sit down on my couch and watch Netflix or maybe sleep in late or go to bed late or maybe all of the above and just eat ice cream all day. We have been at the place where our motivation has died or our motivation has slowly lacked. So we are beginning this series called Motivations. And this is a very exciting series because wherever you are in this moment, you can begin again. You don't have to stop or die in this moment. You don't have to say, okay, because I didn't accomplish it in these eight weeks, I can't do it. This is a time to press on, to continue further. And so we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. And Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica at this time. He is encouraging them, he's teaching them, and he's correcting them in some of their theology. He's also with his friends while he's writing this, uh, or he started this church with his friends, Timothy and Silvanus. And this is a moment in which he's writing this letter so that he can help them. The reason he planted this church in Thessalonica, which is now in Greece, in modern-day Greece, it's been there the whole time, and he planted this church there, he started this work of faith, is because it was a strategic place. 
It had access from Rome to Byzantine or modern-day Turkey or Istanbul. It was a seaport that had many, of, many access to places, and it was a place in which Jews, Greeks, Orientals, as well as Romans gathered. So it was a very strategic place for him to reach many groups of people. Not unlike this church here. We've been placed strategically. Buying this building that was once a water park. Many of you, I don't know if many of you know the story, but this used to be a water park. And turning it into this place that it is now, it's a work of faith. It's something that inspired by God to be able to plant this in this strategic area where D.C. is just 35 minutes away. We have Arlington. We have the nation. We have so many opportunities to reach people from all over the world. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, through 1, verse 3. It says this, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We're actually just going to be focusing on the first or on four words, work produced by faith. This is going to be a fun thing to talk about. I think a lot of times we get in this place where we're working and we're working and we're working and then we get tired and we get burnt out because there are so many things that are going on in our life. I, um, when I was a, a young boy, I used to work hard so that I could make my parents proud, so I would do some things that I would, I would make sure that they were proud for. I'd say, clean my room, I would try to vacuum sometimes, I would do the dishes, and they would be proud of me. And later in my life, I became sort of like a guy who would be a yes man while I was in college. And I don't know about you, but there are a lot of people who are yes people. They would say yes to anything and everything to get people to approve them. And I've got four things that I want to talk about today. I've got working for approval, good work, working from approval, and then the work of the evangelist. I think these things are going to encourage us and strengthen us. Let me pray. Lord, would you be with us? Would you encourage us, strengthen us in your word? Jesus, into our homes. We need you with us during this time of uncertainty, during this time of somewhat fear, during this time of the unknown, we need you. So would you enter into our homes? Would you be with us? Would you be our comforter in times of need? And Holy Spirit, would you empower me to speak clearly, to follow your, your guidance, and to encourage the church? We ask that you would open our minds to understand and open our hearts that we may receive. It's in your name we pray this, Jesus. Amen. Working for approval. This is something I think everybody has done at one point in their life. We see that many people are designed to want approval, and everybody wants approval in life. I think the whole world, of, you know, all of existence wants approval and to be approved by people. The problem is, when we work for approval, when we are yes men or yes women, we fall into this place of trying to please everybody. And when we fall into this place of trying to please everybody, we now lose out on the few that we could develop relationship is, with. So what is approval? Approval is the ability to take the next step in anything. So if you get approved for a car, you can take the next step to purchase a car. If you get approved for a house, you can take the next step in buying a house. If you get approved for a college or a university, you can take the next step in that. And if you get approved with people, that's the next step. Or the hope is that we can take that next step with them. The biggest problem with being approved by people is that it doesn't fill the void that we have. When we're approved by the people that we think we need to be approved by, the surrounding people in our lives, we think it's going to give us exactly what we need and say, oh my gosh, I found, what, I found it. Like, this is it. When we get approved in that relationship that we've always been searching for, I found it. This is it. 
But we soon come to realize that there's still something lacking. There's still something missing. And we've done so many things to try to get them to feel what we want them to feel or for us to feel what we want us to feel. But we can't get it from people. And so we go from person to person, from relationship to relationship, searching for this approval that we think is going to fill us in the place where we have a hold. And the biggest problem is, is that people, no matter how great they are, they can't fill you. Working for approval just leaves you more empty than you began. It leaves you sad, depressed, frustrated, hopeless in humanity because you can't find anybody that's going to appreciate you the way you need it. And so you end up in this place where you've given everything, but you end up with nothing. And you're furious and you're frustrated and you're angry and you're sad. And you're saying, why haven't I received what I've been searching for? Why? Where is it? Why can't you give it to me? It's because that hole isn't big enough for man to fill, or that hole is too big for man to fill, I should say. That hole is so much bigger than what a person can give you. But when we try to work for approval, it's like the man who has sold his soul so that he can gain the world. It says in Mark chapter 8, verse 33, what does a man profit if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? Some of us have worked for approval in the places of our jobs to where we've lost our ability to understand morals or beliefs or what our foundation is. Some of us have worked for approval in the places of relationships where we've given everything to everybody but left no room for our self-esteem or for God to build us up. Some of us have worked for this place of approval where we are now known by everybody but we have nobody who actually knows us. Some of us are in this place of loneliness where we've been working for approval, but we haven't received what we need. This place of working for approval will always leave you more empty than you went in. And the problem is, the biggest problem is, is that our heart is not designed for man to hold. It's designed for God to. And if we keep giving our heart to man and expect them not to shatter this piece of glass, this very fragile piece of our lives, it's going to fall to the ground because every time a man will fail you. We are not perfect, church. By no standard of the imagination can I hold the place of your heart that God needs to hold. So don't think that I can. The second type of people that we see or that I've noticed in life are the good work people. And these are the people that go through the day thinking that they're good enough to get into heaven just based on the fact that they gave to charity or some of the people that have not done the bad things. In fact, I was talking with um, this student when I was on campus, and I work at George Mason University. Shout out to GMU. I love y'all. I miss y'all. I can't wait to gather with you together again. I'm super excited for the fall. I don't know what it's going to hold, but I'm ready to be with you. I was, I was on George Mason's campus using this tool that, called the God Test, and this tool is a great tool. It lets us, to get, it lets us uh, go and talk to people about our faith. And so it's an easy way to start a conversation. I would say download it and get encouraged because this is going towards evangelism. Download the God test, learn about it, all these things. I was using this tool and I was talking with this student. And as I was talking with him, I asked him, I said, will you get into heaven? And he said, yes. That's one of the questions on the God test. And I said, okay, why? He said, I'm a good person. And so I proceeded to ask him, I said, okay, what are you doing that's good? Tell me some of the things. And he said, well, um, I haven't killed anybody. I'm not Hitler. And I paused for a second. I said, so, so you're basing your goodness on the fact that you haven't murdered somebody or that you haven't hurt somebody. And I began to question him. I said, isn't that just regular humanity? Aren't I just supposed to be kind to you? 
aren't I just supposed to be nice? And, and me hurting you, that would go beyond not being good. That would be bad. That would be evil. And he began to say, well, yeah, but, you know, God, God loves me. And, God, and that's a true statement. God does love you. God loves you with all that you have and all that you are and who you are he's made you to be. He loves you with everything because God is love. But our works don't display if we're saved. I'm sorry, our works will not get us into salvation. Our works will display if we are saved. And so this boy who I was talking to, he was telling me, yeah, I've, I've done some things. I, started, I, I went to this charity thing one time in school. And I said, okay, well, did you need to go? And he said, yeah, my school made me. And I said, okay, so that wasn't even on your own volition. That wasn't your own voluntary thing. He said, no. I said, okay, well, what have you done that's good for people? He said, uh, you know, I hold the doors open for old ladies. I hold the doors open for the next person walking in. I'm like, bro, that's what everybody does. If you see a person coming behind you, it's common sense to hold the door. He said, okay, well, uh, um, I don't curse anybody out when they deserve it okay, thanks for not doing that. And so we kept this conversation going. At the end of it, I said, man, do you know what good actually is? And he said, well, yeah, it's just not being bad. I said, well, not being bad doesn't make you good. Not being bad just makes you neutral, makes you human. And he was confounded. He was confused because he'd always been, in his mind, thought not doing anything bad was leading me to good works. What real good works are, church, and what James says, is undefiled pure religion, which is feeding the orphans and helping the widows. It is taking people and bringing them from a place where they are less than, encouraging them to the place where they can see themselves as in the image made of God. It is bringing somebody into a relationship where you are authentic, where you are real and raw and beautifully designed. It is helping somebody understand that there is more than just not doing bad, but there is the pursuit of righteousness. Not doing bad isn't good work. The Bible says in Psalm 14, verse 1, it says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. I think this kind of tells our story very well of humanity. We think we're good enough to earn God's love, to deserve God's sacrifice, to deserve this place called heaven. We think because we've done one good thing at the beginning of our life, been neutral through the middle, and at the end, we do another good thing, God is pleased. We think that that's enough to get this great gift called heaven. Well, church, the problem is our good works can't save us. It says in Romans 3.23, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. All. There is nobody who's exempt from that. All have fallen short, myself included. The pastor that sits on this stage included. Every single church leader included. Everybody's fallen short. And so what gives you the right to think that your good work is going to get you to the place where you can dwell with a perfect God? What gives you the right to say, I've done two good things, therefore I deserve heaven? We didn't earn it, and we can't, church. If we could deserve heaven, if we could earn heaven, it would be just like here. No different. The same people, people who have done good things to get a good place. You can have a good place here if by doing good things, but you can't have a perfect place. Heaven is very different 
than where we are now. Completely perfect. Streets lined with gold. The very instruments they use to measure are gold. The foundations are precious stones. The gates are one single giant pearl. Heaven is a beautiful, perfect, protected, safe place. And if we think that we can get there based upon what we do as good, we are sorely mistaken. Good work does not get us to the place where we can get to dwell with a perfect and good God. On the contrary, there's a man in the Bible, a rich young ruler. This story comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 25. And it's a rich young ruler. He comes to the person of Jesus and he says, Master, good teacher, what shall I do to be saved? And Jesus' response is, keep the commandments. And he says, okay, well, I've done that. And Jesus goes on to list the names of these commandments. And he says, do not commit adultery. Do not commit murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And the young man says, I've done these. What, what else do I need to do? And then Jesus tells him, go sell, the, go sell all of your possessions and give to the poor. And this man walks away and he says, I can't do that because I love my things. This man is the prime example of who we are today. We see this man as keeping all of the commandments in reference to man. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. He's kept all of these. He's done them well and he's proud of that. And all of us have done these. We haven't murdered. We haven't bared false witness. We haven't committed adultery. We've honored our mother and our father. These are the things that we've done. But see, the problem is, our good work to people doesn't mean we're any better to God. Our good work to people displays that we want to be liked by people, approved by people. But our good work to people means we're no better to God. This is the problem of humanity, is that we have offended a perfect, righteous, holy, absolutely amazing God. We have sinned daily, our thoughts impure, our actions wrong. We have cursed people out continuously. We have done so many things that are not right. The good news of Jesus Christ is this. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is, this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And I would encourage you to read it, because it's not our good works that save us. It's grace through faith. It's the grace of God that was embodied in the person of Jesus that brought us to this place where we see our own flaws, where we see our lack where we see that the God-sized hole in our heart cannot be filled by a man, where no amount of good deeds could get us to this place of heaven, of relationship. There is nothing that we can do to get to God. The beautiful news of Jesus is that he came to us. Then we have the people who are the people who are working from approval. I got married um, almost two years ago, and I was talking to this woman who is now my wife. Her name is Janine. Shout out to Janine. I love you with all of my heart. We made a beautiful baby. I love you. I will cook for you. I will clean for you. Whatever you need, ask me, and I'll do it. It's my life. That's my, that's my girl right there. That's my wife. I love that woman. I got married a couple years ago, and 
it was a process of getting to know her. The steps that we took to get to know, know each other were a lot of communication. Many times we were finding out how we did communicate. I'm more of the let's go, let's talk about the hard thing. She's more of the reserve type. She needs lots of words of affirmation and much love and quality to, or, uh, uh, um, gifts and service. And she, her love language is all five, essentially. Mine is just quality time. Just spend time with me, hang out with me. And through these times of getting to know each other, getting to communicate, there was a point in which I committed to saying, I'm going to marry you. And she said yes, and we get married, and now we're here. Beautiful story, I know. We get to this place, and we're still learning to communicate. But the good news, the beautiful thing about this relationship that's happened is that now I'm not working for her approval or for the next step to be taken, but I'm working from that place. You see, I went from trying to earn this place of approval in her life, and then she gave it to me, and now I'm working from it. Jesus has given us this place of approval in God's life. We can enter into a relationship not worried about our wrong. He does not hold it over our head for us to sit there and say, I've done wrong and I need someone to help me. I need this God to wipe away the grudge that he has against me. No, he has wiped the slate clean, given us the opportunity to be new with him, present in his house. And so as I was working for this place of approval with my wife, when I got it, then now I'm working from the place of being approved, meaning I love her. I love her with all that I have. And so what I do is I give her the love that she gives me when she's not expecting it. So I'll give her flowers. I'll try to buy her gifts. I'll make sure that she gets rest when when we have this six-month-old that screams at four in the morning and does not care about the time. I make sure that she, that I do the dishes sometimes and more times I need to. I make sure that I try to fold the clothes and wash the laundry. I make sure that I vacuum and that I do things that are necessary in the house. I'm trying to show her my love by doing the things that she has already, the love from the love that she's already given me. I'm not trying to earn it. I'm not trying to deserve it. I can't, I can't, I've already got it. Jesus has already given us his love. And so why are we still trying to earn and deserve this place when he said, I've given it to you, now work from it. Paul is encouraging this church in Thessalonica because they're working from the place of receiving this gift, not trying to earn it or deserve it. Church, we can work from a place of already receiving the love of Christ. We can work from this place of now going to the people and saying, I want to give you what I've received. Not because I want to earn your approval, but because I want to show you that God loves you for who you are. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18 says it beautifully. But it says in verse 13, wonderful are your works. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and my soul knows it well. Church, we are made in the image of God. We are made in this beautiful image of our creator. And as we were made in this image, we were told to bear this image well. From then, we get to this place of John 3.16, probably the most iconic verse in all of scripture, where we are seeing God's love in action. He shows us affection, that he cares enough to come be with us, that he wants to dwell with you and I in this person of Jesus, in the body of Jesus, and God incarnate. We show them, we see that he's committed to us, that he, sh- that he committed so much that he died for us on the cross. He gave us the opportunity to know him. 
We see that he trusts us with the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he's given us individually. And we see that he sacrificed for us, his life for ours. Now, I want to do good works, not so that I can be approved by God because he's already displayed his approval on the cross. I want to do good works of faith that are for the advancement of the gospel. We get to this place of now working for God, not working, or working from the place of being approved by God, not working for his approval. And this is where you get to do the work of the evangelist church. The most beautiful thing you can do is share Jesus with other people. Paul wants us, and he was encouraging the church, the work of faith that is started in you, do not let it die with you. The work of faith that God has started in the depth of your being, do not let it die with you. Because if you let it die with you, you're going to see the same cycle in your family through the next hundred years. And there's going to, be a, there's going to have to be a rekindling of the flame of God in your life. We need to grow in our faith, church. Instead of just letting our faith live this little half-life where we can say, I've done a good thing. I went on a missions trip. I gave to charity. I gave to the church. And what we're doing in giving to this church so we can give to the community is a phenomenal thing. But we cannot let it stop there. There's so much more that God wants us to do. There is a greater faith that God wants to produce in our life. And it comes by us going to tell people. Jesus' last words to us were, go and make disciples of all nations. This comes from Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 to 20. It says, go to all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you until the end of the age. If we're sitting on our couch saying, I don't know what to do next, let's start practicing our evangelism. Let's start working the evangelist faith that God has given this church to reach D.C., to reach Arlington, to reach Maryland, to reach the college campus, to reach the universities of the world. Because we cannot let the work of faith that God has started with the man that sits right here on this stool on Sundays throughout the year die with us. We need to do the work of the evangelist. And this is what Paul tells Timothy. When we do this, we can encourage other people. And the work of the evangelist, some of us have experienced bad evangelism, where we're seeing the guy out there, you're going to hell, this is it, your sin has killed you. I'm sorry if you've experienced that. I'm sorry. Because God really wants you to know how loved you are, not how far away you are from him. What the work of the evangelist looks like is knowing your story and knowing the gospel story. You need to know how God changed your life. How from that moment you met Jesus, he gave you a new heart. And how your heart cannot wait to express this love for God's people, for the people who have yet to know him. This means we need to go and tell, church. We are not to be a sitting church We are not to be a consuming church. We are to contribute. We are to bring people into this place of love and affirmation and completion in God. We are to go and tell. You need to get involved with Grace Cares. You need to get involved. What will happen is your faith will be grown as you do the work that God has called you to do. And the most beautiful thing throughout this book called the Bible that we follow and adhere and love with all of our hearts that changed my life and the person of Jesus that helped me grow 
is that this work that we're doing is inspired by faith. Church, I'm working from the place of already being approved, from already receiving God's love. Faith inspired them to work. The sacrifice of Jesus inspired these people to work. The love of God brought these people to the place where they said, I want to do good works for God. Not because I have to earn it or deserve it, but because he's already given it. Church, maybe you've been going through this place. This is your first time here, welcome. I'm sorry I get loud. But if this is your first time here and you've been in church when you were a child or younger and you've walked away from God and you've said, I need to reconnect. I need to know how to follow this Jesus. You can text New Life to 25827 or click the button, the button in the chat room that will allow you to raise your hand. And if this is your first time and you said, I've never heard this message of appro- approval. I've never felt this type of love from God, but I want to. The beautiful thing is is that I know this God. I know that he gave his life for me. I know that he loves me without condition. I know that he would come down and give me gifts and he would bring me peace. But more importantly, this God knows me. And as this God knows me, he's given me access to the very things that I didn't know I had access to. If you have known this God all your life, the idea of this God, but I've never known the person of this God, and this God has never known the person of you, this is a beautiful time to say, yes, I want to know him. If that's you, just text New Life to 25827 or raise your hand in the chat box and pray with me. Say, Father, I choose to turn away from all my sin, to know you, to love you, to walk with you, to follow you all the end of my days. And in the Bible it says, if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, that I will be saved. So God, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you did what you said you would do. Keep me, protect me, strengthen me. It's in your name we pray this, Jesus, amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome. Welcome to the beginning of the most beautiful days of your life. And if this is the first time or maybe there's a rededication, God is saying to you, he loves you. And he's been saying that for many years. He's not left you nor forgotten you. The prayers that you've prayed over the years, they have not sat there at his feet just getting stomped upon. In fact, he's cherished them and held them in his hands. He's brought them close. And now what he's done is he's drawn close to you welcome to the family. Welcome to faith. Welcome to trusting in Jesus. It doesn't end there. We want to connect with you. And so if you would fill out the form that clicks, that pops up when you have sent in the text or have clicked the button, that would allow us to connect with you, to bring you into this thing called relationship with Jesus and to walk it out well. We don't just give our lives and then say, okay, now I've got my ticket into heaven. No, we commit to this relationship for a lifetime. 